Today we have two very special guests with us. They are the co-authors of the book, How We Love. And they're here to help us better understand our own unique love style. So can we please give a warm horizon welcome to Mylon and Kay Yurkovich. Thank you. What a great worship team. Oh, that was wonderful. Let's thank them. I love that song. They are great. We're delighted to be with you. Uh, We've been to Cincinnati several times, and we love coming here. Uh, It's a great state. Um, Chris Collinsworth was one of my favorite sports broadcasters, for those of you who know I'm talking about. Former Cincinnati Bengal tight end, or wide receiver, I should say. You know, there's this thing God calls us to, and we've heard it over and over and over again. It's uh, we're supposed to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And then secondly, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, love, this thing called love, is really a hard thing to do. And some of us, it's a little bit easier. And for some of us, it's a little bit harder. And yet when we're under stress, in stressed states, we love the worst. I don't know about you, but it's the hardest to love when we are stressed. And so we want to understand how is it that we can do a better job managing our stress? What are the predictable ways that we've learned consciously or unconsciously to handle our stress? And then we want to learn how it is we could do something different. And that's what we'll be doing tonight in the evening service, sharing a new and a different way, some biblical concepts and patterns to follow that will help us learn how to love better. So before Kay gives you a quick assessment exercise to to work on, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1, he says, now this love we're talking about here in the New Testament, Uh, May your love abound more and more. May there be more of it on a daily, gradual, growing basis in our lives. But then he adds two words to describe how our love should abound. It should abound in real knowledge and all discernment. That we would become more knowledgeable about this thing called love and even the ones whom we love. And more discerning as to what is needed at different times within that love experience. And so we're going to be explaining that to you as well as tonight more about that. So, Kay, lead us on a little exercise. All right. Well, so much of what we're going to share with you this morning was born out of our own lives at the 15-year mark of our marriage. We were stuck, and we had that dance that most couples can describe that core pattern. And we were frustrated and unable to change it. And Mylon was a pastor at the time, and we were you know, well-versed in the Bible and in prayer. And we said, Lord, what's going on? And help us understand what's at the root of all this. And much of what we're going to share is an answer that God gave us to that prayer. But stress is something that we all experience every day. It's a part of living in a broken world, isn't it? And uh, I want you to just think for one second, you know, our parents are the first people to really help us manage stress. So, and they teach us by even example. What do we do when we're not okay, when we have a stressful day or a stressful encounter? So what did your, I just want you to think for a minute, what did your mom do? Now, don't say this out loud. Just think. Just think what your mom did. And if your mom's in the audience, think very quietly, okay? (laughs) (laughs) 
And then what did your dad do? You know, because these are the first lessons we have. And we're not here to blame parents. We're here to explain what's working well and what isn't working well in our own lives so that we can change it. But, of course, much of what we absorb comes from our families of origin. So now let's think personally. Think of a time that you were stressed this week. Mm-hmm. Maybe today, maybe this morning coming here. And what did you feel when you were stressed? We don't often think about this. But if you could pick one specific feeling word because of that stress, what would it be? Sometimes we say, oh, I'm just not doing well, or I'm bad, or I'm, I'm stressed. But we don't really talk about a feeling that describes what's on the inside. And then I want you to think, what did you do because of that stress? Because when we're stressed, we all need relief, don't we? So what did you do? What was the behavior because of the stress and the feelings that you had? And we're going to talk more about that. So if you think of a specific thing, I think it would help you even get more out of this. So really, just give me a couple feeling words that you thought of as you were thinking about a stressful situation. Anybody? What? Could you hear that? No. Overwhelmed. Frustrated. Frustrated. One more. Okay, so are these happy feelings? No, they're difficult emotions. So, so much of what we're, we're thinking here is managing stress is the ability to deal with difficult emotions effectively. And a, a lot of times we struggle with that. We sure did the first 15 years of our marriage. We did. Um, we just had our 47th anniversary. Okay, so between that 15-year mark and uh, we worked really hard for two or three years to create a new pattern in our marriage. And so it's helped us get to the 47 mark. So that's a good piece of news, don't you think? Uh, you don't have to make any response to that. I'll just assume. That, <laughs> I'll just assume you thought that was a good thing. That's okay. Um, it's early in the morning. You haven't had enough coffee yet, and I understand. So let's look at the Bible and ask the question, how did Jesus manage stress? What did he do when he was stressed? And on a very difficult day in his life, he, it shows us in the Bible, in a passage of Scripture that sort of skipped over a lot. We don't stop and look at it too much, but the night before he died on the cross, the anticipation of the impending death the next day was completely overwhelming to Jesus, to use that word overwhelming. It was very frustrating to him, and it was, if you will, almost panicky. I'm going to be, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be beaten beyond recognition, and then I'm going to hang on the cross to die for people's sins. So it was a stressful time. Then Jesus came with them, and I'm in Matthew 26, if you want to look with me. Verse 36, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now he didn't go over there and pray by himself. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. No words had been spoken yet. It just said he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Think in your mind, what might he have looked like? He's sorrowful. What do sorrowful people look like? Deeply distressed. What do deeply distressed people look like? There's wrinkles on the forehead, there's, there's sweat, there's frustration, there's pacing, there's heavy breathing, and, and, and there's just a, 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 an anguish over the person. 
So his disciples, Peter, Peter, James, and John, are just watching this, and there's no explanation. But Jesus opened his mouth, and this is one of the keys to understanding how it is we manage stress. Jesus said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. He could describe his soul. The Greek word soul is the Greek word suke, P-S-U-C-H-E, from which we get the word psychology, which is a study of the inner person. My inner self is distressed to the point of death inside. They saw an external response, but he explained the external response by telling what was actually happening inside. And he says, stay here and watch with me. He didn't want to be alone. And then after that, he went on a little further and and fell on his face and he prayed, saying, O Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, let thy will, not mine, be done. Here's where faith comes in. He had a legitimate meltdown, and I use that word respectfully, as he was getting ready to face this heavy, heavy consequence of your sin and mine. He'd never experienced that before. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews it said there was great, loud wailing and tears. He was crying out loud, very loud. In the Gospels it says that blood was coming out of his pores. He was so physiologically distressed. And it was mingling with his sweat. And so he has this, this red sweat dripping off of him. That's how distressed he was. But I learned three things about Jesus. He was free to feel his emotions. Number two, he could... I'll say four things. He was free to feel his emotions. Number two, he could describe them. Number three, he could describe them horizontally to people around him horizontally. And number four, he could explain them and bring them before his heavenly father and the crying and the 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 difficult emotions were not an evidence of a lack of faith faith was set in when he said nevertheless let your will not mine be done so this is how jesus managed stress and we're going to be keying off of this concept all day and the rest of the evening uh but kate let's talk a little bit about the question that we want them to think about. Okay, well, we asked this question in the first chapters of our book. Do you have a memory of comfort from your own family of origin sometime, any time from the time you remember to your grown-up years, where a parent noticed you weren't okay, or you could tell them, it was safe to tell them, it was safe to show your feelings, and they reached out, maybe asked you questions, um, comforted you, to where you left that experience feeling relief from your parents. And this is a very important and diagnostic question because if you have a lot of those memories, then you learn something really important. Uh, You learn that uh, you can go to people and people are a source of relief for you when you're not okay. And of course, if your parents could do that as you grew older and Uh, adapt how they did that, then you're going to have an automatic response that people are a safe place to go. If you don't have memories of comfort, uh, which I don't from my parents, uh, then you're going to struggle to go to people. It won't really occur to you to go to people, and you're going to have to find relief through things. Now, some things are good. 
prayer is great, running is great, exercise is great. But, of course, every addiction we have that's known to man is an effort to get relief for difficult emotions. And so many people who can't go to people end up using some sort of addictive response to help soothe their soul inside when they're feeling a lot of stress. So when we don't have memories of comfort, Kay, we turn to other things, external things, right. to soothe ourselves. Um, and then we also have high levels of conflict. Uh, in the part of Orange County in Southern California where we live, the divorce rate's over 60%. And so when we're under stress, we think that that person is causing me the stress, or actually she thinks it's me, and sometimes she's right. Um, <laughs> that it isn't me causing some of the distress. Um, but if we don't know how to manage it, we don't know how to come to one another, and even in the body of Christ, not as married people, even as singles and, and friends and family and brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, we're supposed to bring ourselves into horizontal relationship just like Jesus did with Peter, James, and John, as well as to the Heavenly Father. He would be what we would call Jesus, a secure attachment. Now, uh, we're going to explain more about the secure attachment tonight. Now, I must admit, uh, next slide, please. I must admit, now, he his family of origin was a little bit different than mine, wouldn't you say? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in heaven for eternity is a little bit of a different family of origin. And so he's a little bit more secure in all of that. He had, a, he had quite the head start uh, uh, on us, uh, I will say that. But he had Mary and Joseph as a mom and dad, and he had siblings that he had rivalry with, and they didn't like him when he was the Messiah at first. They came to follow him later. But he had this secure attachment. If we don't have secure attachment, we're going to be what we call insecure attachment. Now, this is not Mylon and Kay's little opinion. This is 70 years of attachment research that says here's what happens in these families of origin to shape us so that when we grow up, we have imprints upon us when we're little that make us feel certain things in relationships when we grow up. But if we've never been taught these things, we'll never be aware of the animating things within us, the drivers within us. So this morning we're going to be talking about the avoider, the pleaser, the vacillator, the controller, and the victim, and introducing those to you briefly. And tonight we're going to be showing you how to grow from them. She used to be an avoider. She is no longer an avoider. I used to be a pleaser. I'm no longer a pleaser. We'll explain that more later. We grew out of these places together. So, Kay, mm -hmm. tell us what an avoider is. Okay, well, if you relate to me, you probably came from a family like mine. I mean, my parents loved us. They just had no idea how to draw out emotions. In fact, if I cried, my dad got mad, and he said, you better stop crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. Any of you hear that one? Or um, my mom just got very anxious, like, ooh, I don't know what to do with you. Uh, so emotions were not something that was really sought out in my family. In fact, they were discouraged, and everything went better if you just didn't show your emotions. And if you don't show your emotions, then you really don't know what you need because feelings link to needs. And so for the avoider, they grow up dismissing emotions. They grow up... Uh, it's more about performance. Their orientation is more about tasks and mastery. There's more approval for that, often in these families. And so entering adulthood and into my marriage, I was very independent. I was used to making my own decisions. Um, I was used to dismissing anything emotional as no big deal and just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and keep going. 
And so these are all traits that you would find in an, in an avoidant attachment. And I had no idea that this was an animating force in me for those first 15 years of our marriage. And yet it greatly impacted every relationship I had from my marriage to uh, how I parented and how I related as a friend. Um, would you add anything about how it was to live with the avoider? How much time do I have? Yeah, you, know, you have not much, so. It, it was kind of like trying to grasp fog and not be able to get anything in your hand. What, if you ask an avoider, how are they, what do they say? Fine. You see, that's, that's true in here, yeah. too. Uh, they say fine. And so it was difficult to feel connected. Right. And uh, when there was a distance. Yes. So, you know, you've heard the fight, flight, freeze as responses to stress. Well, avoiders flee. They detach. They try, if there's something really stressful going on in themselves or other people, they're going to want to move away, not toward. Yeah. Kay was also an introvert. And don't mistake avoider with introvert. An introvert is somebody who charges their battery by being alone. If they're with a lot of people, it drains them and they need to get quiet and sort of recharge. And introverts also find themselves answering with fewer words. They process internally and then answer your question. Uh, they don't, you ask an extrovert a question and they just start talking. And then they eventually get to the answer. And, uh, <laughs> but you get to go on the whole ride until they get to the final answer, you see. But she'll just give you the answer. So there's brevity. So brevity plus avoidance equals less for me. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah. I didn't hear any empathy. Yeah. He should get an amen for that. About that. <laughs> but the bottom line was it triggered me and got me agitated, and we'll explain that more tonight. I hope you come. I was a pleaser. Uh, a pleaser is a person who is peace and harmony focused. Let's keep everybody smiling like this guy on the screen. He has this eager look on his face. Please smile back at me is what that message is, isn't it? And it's, I'm desperate for you to tell me I'm okay. Doesn't he just look like that? Desperate. It, why? Because if, if in my life as a young person, if you smiled, then I was okay. I learned that early on as a child. If nobody was smiling, I knew a storm was coming. My nickname used to be Smilin' Mylin. Why did I smile so much as a kid? Because I was trying to get you to look warm so I could relax. Does that make sense? And, and, but I wasn't authentic. I wasn't genuine. I, I wouldn't go to difficult places. I wouldn't ask hard questions. I wouldn't reveal anything about myself. As a matter of fact, I didn't know what was going on inside my soul. I didn't know that I was anxiety and fear-based. I just didn't understand that. So this avoidant person over here wouldn't smile back. Do you think that agitated me? You should go like, I'll tell you, I'll help you with cues. Do you think that agitated me? <laughs> yes, it did. And then it set up a, a, a chase scene that was uncomfortable. And we'll role play that for you embarrassingly tonight so you can see what it looked like. So freeze, you would flee, I would freeze. Mm -hmm. And then I would scurry around to try and do anything to try and get you to smile. And one of the things I used to do as a child, I would not go outside and play 
if there was something brewing in the house, I would stay inside and clean to try to figure out if I could make everybody happy. When I became an adult and got married and I was stressed... He, he cleaned. I cleaned. <laughs> Which I really liked, except for it was always on a Sunday night when he was already tired. And I'd be like, why are you cleaning out the garage right now? I just want to get it clean. And she like, didn't know I was stressed. I had no idea. And so learning that stress responses, you know, what is your stress response and what are the people around you? What do they do when they're stressed? Because it's a sign they need connection instead of judgment. And many times we judge other people when they're stressed. My garage is a mess now. <laughs> that's actually a good thing. It's a growth thing. And that's a growth thing for me to have it messy. And number two, I clean when I want to, not by default. See, it's a choice now to clean when I want to. So, Kate, what's the vacillator? The vacillator grows up in a home where there's some connection, enough to make them want more. And so the trouble is it's intermittent. It's, it comes and goes more at the parent's mood than the child's needs. So this kid is kind of left waiting and longing for more of what they got last week. Um, and the, the inconsistency causes anxiety. Uh, many times in the home life of a vacillator, there's some abandonment. It could be blatant like a divorce or it could be um, like my dad often was home, but he was not present. You knew just to stay away that he was in a bad mood. So the vacillator um, deals with this inconsistency and this pain of longing for more by idealizing the future. They're the kings and queens of romance and of male or female, and they have, um, they're always hopeful that things can be better than they are. So we call them idealists. Um, they're, they're perfectionistic, and they don't always know why, but the reason is, if it can be ideal, then guess what? There's no pain in life. If I have the ideal husband, then there's no pain. If I have the ideal children, there's no pain. So they sort of swing back and forth between really good mood or really upset because that's how they feel life. It's like, we're all in, we're connected, it's wonderful, it's all bad, I'm disappointed, it's terrible. And so for the vacillator, as an adult, um, they can give messages of, come here, come here, no, I'm too mad, go away. And so it's kind of, come here, no, go away, come here, go away. And this is a reflection of the internal struggle within them that's been there since before they ever met their mate. All these styles that we're describing um, are born out of your childhood experience and they just bloom when you get into a primary family relationship again, a marriage or a family, they're going to bloom and become more visible because home is where they started and home is where they come out. So the vacillator um, spends a lot of time rehearsing and reviewing in their own mind. They're very preoccupied because they're very sensitive to connection and disconnection and they're rehearsing what's to come and you know, analyzing how they can make something happen, and then they're reviewing any past hurts, which is why they have a laser memory for anything you did that was wrong. They can tell you all the times that you've done it because they're in their minds a lot. So there's a lot of anxiety, and as the anxiety builds, then their stress response comes out, and they are the protesters. Avoiders flee, pleasers freeze, vacillators fight. 
and their fighting is about it's not ideal i want it to be ideal i'm disappointed and the protest is about the lack of ideal uh so i think um one of the things we we're going to do tonight is talk about some of the growth goals for each of these styles but right now we just want to see if you can identify some of them in yourself or your family members without pointing let's review how many of you have ever seen an avoider person before male or female just raise your hand if you've ever seen a avoider now keep in mind the avoiders are not raising their hands here and cooperating <laughs> so that's a lot of people you've seen them okay how many of you've seen a pleaser a male or female you've seen them okay they're here see they're here how many of you ever seen this vacillator that's giving this message to you raise your hand don't point just raise your hand okay it's important to understand this because do these love styles resemble the mature Jesus we just read about do they resemble Jesus no I'll, okay, I'm going to help you out again ready do they resemble Jesus no they don't so this gives us a new area to grow in my emotions and my reactivity and my relational maturity is what we're talking about how to love better how not to sabotage love by overreacting <coughs> in one way or the other and that's what our discussion is how can we be more mature as Christ followers lastly we're going to talk about the controller and victim and um there in the message notes if you're taking notes but the controller and the victim both come from a home that is chaotic and disorganized next slide please chaotic and disorganized and then in this chaotic disorganized home what you have is you have a child who is in danger as one person put it researcher they said this is a home where there is fright without solutions for the child so it is chaotic it's disorganized i don't know how to connect with the very people that are supposed to provide for me and take care of me and give me a place to sleep and yet there is danger here and i'm in danger every moment so the child is in an agitated state i read about this in the paper every day the child that is found in a home who has been neglected or this is where all the foster kids for the child protective services this is where all those kids in the foster system come from and we must realize our churches are being filled with people that are coming to Christ but yet their histories are less than pristine we live in a fallen and broken world now in this chaotic disorganized dangerous place some people grow up and they say i'm never going to be hurt humiliated shamed or intimidated again here as a child i'm never going to let this person make me feel this way again so boom they go to here they're in the controlling position male or female this is not about gender and i will be k also the fighter the protester mm-hmm. but instead of <clears throat> protesting for connection i am protesting for conformity do it my way because if you do it my way then i know exactly what's going to happen and if i know what is is going to happen i don't get agitated inside so do it my way now and this is a controlling individual i believe the church and our society does not have ways to filter or see these people or be able to discern who is an avoider pleaser vacillator controller and victim and so what happens is is that they just drift through the church unseen but yet the church has the same statistics as the outside world our divorce rates are just the same we don't 
we struggle. Also, addictions are very high, even in the church. So it's about domination, and there can be abuse and punity when people don't comply. It's a very aggressive, angry environment where there's harm. But what about the victim in that home? Well, in, in this home, and let me say one more thing about the controller. God weeps. I know some of you went through a home like that, and you are from a home that was very difficult. And I I truly believe God weeps as he sees what happens to children that he never intended to happen. And I think he draws those people into the church for healing. And yet we have to to understand our our, um, starting point because in my home it worked to be an avoider. In his home it worked to be a pleaser. In this home nothing works. And so you're left really helpless and hopeless and there's a lot of pain. The victim is just the more compliant kid. The controller, usually in adolescence, will fight the dominant parent or move out early. The victim is the one that just hides under the bed or, you know, tries to um, be as good as they can be so that they don't ruffle the anger and the the chaos. Um, But these people learn to tolerate the intolerable very early in their life. And so many times they just get married and continue to tolerate the intolerable because it's actually normal to them. Uh, the other thing we see a lot is people from difficult homes say, well, I'm all of these. I, I thought I was the first one until you said the second one, and then I thought I'm that until you talked about the vacillator. And that makes sense because these kids are trying everything. So if you came from a really difficult home, we just say pick the thing you do the most in the relationship you most want to change right now. It may be that you came from a chaotic home, but you're more the avoider or more the vacillator. Uh, but we, you know, we know that these folks relate really to many of these styles. And these exist on a continuum from you're a little bit of a pleaser to you're an extreme pleaser or a little bit of an avoider to an extreme avoider. It just depends on how you were trained when you grew up. Um, the, the, the victim also freezes, but to a greater degree. Um, I was talking to a couple recently, and she was a vacillator, so she would get mad, and he came from a home with uh, an abusive dad. And so the minute her voice tone went up, his whole body went into the same traumatic state he felt as a kid. And he couldn't think, he couldn't use his words, he was just frightened. And he says, if it goes on long enough, then I just leave. I just get out of the house. And I, I was trying to explain to her, his body is wired to voice tone. It's been wired since he was a little boy. The minute your voice goes up, his body goes into hyper alert and danger. And she had never realized that. Our day job is we run a counseling center. And we have a staff of 10, 12 people. And we specialize in couples. And we specialize, we're a Christian counseling center. And we we specialize in applying this attachment research. Uh, to help couples understand why we do the mm-hmm. things we do and why we react and why we have these non-voluntary things that happen within us, in all cases creating anxiety and tension, uh, which we all handle in different ways. Do they help us love one another well? Absolutely not. Are, are they familiar? No. But again, 70 years of attachment research and what we did is took the research and put the cookies on the bottom shelf so that we can all understand that. We find that people are deeply liberated as where we were when I could say, oh, I get very anxious in relationships. I wonder why. Oh, I always have been. Before I ever met you, 
I've always felt insecure in relationships. Why, as I think about it, I had an upset stomach coming home from school every day in elementary school. No wonder I feel anxious about coming home or engaging with people. And until that clicked in my head, I did not understand what was happening here. Does that make sense? I'm supposed to shake. Yes. Say yes. It, it should make sense. In other words, there is downloading what operating system was put into me long ago when I was not a voting member. There was an operating system that was imprinted inside of me. We're not here to blame. We're here to explain why I react the way I do in relationships. That's all. That's the only reason we're trying to understand this. So therefore, I can grow and change and become something different and love better. Now, let's close with this. There are really two ways God wants us to handle stress. And Jesus showed us both of these in Matthew 26. The first was, and we learned this in Hebrews chapter 4, that we can take all of our stress and everything that is inside of us to the Lord and, and dump everything out. Hebrews 4 says, since we have a high priest who can sympathize with all of our weaknesses, let us come to him with boldness and, and come to him often that we might find grace and mercy in a time of need. There's grace at the throne of grace. There's mercy there for us when we are hurting and stressed inside. And we can drop to our knees just as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane and say, Father, I need help here. I'm not doing well. But then there's another concept that we're going to stress more tonight, which is all of the one another's of Scripture. There are biblical imperatives, which is a command, at least three dozen of them, that tell us to come to each other to have needs met. We're supposed to have vertical needs met by the Heavenly Father, but the body of Christ is supposed to come to one another horizontally to have needs met as well. And often we don't know how to do that. And my closest neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself, would be somebody that's in my family. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that make sense to you? That would be your closest neighbor? Yeah, thank you. Okay. So the Bible says, comfort one another. How can I comfort Kay if she'll never tell me she's uncomfortable someplace? I'm, yet I'm commanded to comfort her and you to me, but yet if we don't have any kind of a soulish awareness to say I'm uncomfortable inside and then to overcome the shame of coming to another person and even asking for help mm-hmm. is something we have to learn to overcome. Uh, this morning I, we dropped something back at our book table and it broke into three pieces and I didn't know what to do. I put it back together and I couldn't get it to work and then all, all of a sudden Todd Buck walks by. I said, Todd, I need help. And he said, oh, well, I would do this and this. And it worked. <laughs> and thank you for Todd. But, um, by the way, I have name envy for Todd uh, Buck. is so much more complicated. How do you spell Todd? How do you spell Buck? Real easy, okay? Milan Yurkovich, not a lot is gets harder. All right. So we're supposed to come to one another. Encourage one another. It's a command. How can I encourage you and you to me if you don't tell me where you're discouraged? Yet what do we do? We come to church. How are you doing? Fine. 
And we, we really lack the transparency and authenticity and vulnerability. Bear one another's burdens. I don't know if you're burdened unless you tell me. And, I, and then tell, ask for help and tell me, well, what part of this burden can I grab a handle and, and lift it up and help you carry it? And many times it's an emotional burden. <clears throat> and, and yet it's hard to reveal that and to be honest and ask for help and to be vulnerable. We all have a shame factor that's very powerful inside of us that make us kind of a lot like Adam and Eve. We want to hide fearfully, cover ourselves up, and then blame other people. Mm-hmm. as opposed to being honest and vulnerable. Uh, Kate, let's then take us to another place. Okay. So really, stress can be a gift because, A, it shows me where I'm weak. It shows me where I need to grow. And it gives me an opportunity to connect with another person if I can have that mindset. Um, I was working with a couple recently, and he had a lot of trauma in his background, um, abusive boyfriends to the mom and then when she she finally married a guy that was more passive she became abusive and so he had a lot of of very difficult things in his childhood he coped with his stress by positive self-talk that went on all day he woke up anxious and hyper vigilant and he would talk to himself all day and try and pull himself out of these places always alone, always in isolation. No one knew what was going on inside. I had a time in the session where I asked her to sit on the end of the couch and I asked him to lay down on the couch and put his head in her lap. And I said, I want you to tell your wife about the worst memory you have from your childhood. And he began to describe one of the beatings. And her, one of the things he was told, if you cry, you're going to get it harder and longer. And she started weeping, and she became so tender, touching his face and stroking his head and crying for him. And then he began to cry, which is a very locked-down emotion in him. And when we finished that portion of the session, he, he said, I've never thought to take my pain to another person. And he says, I don't ever remember anyone weeping for my pain or being comforted by another human being. He said, that was a really new experience. He said, it was uncomfortable, but there's part of me that really liked it. And I said, well, that's what God created you. Um, Comfort is a a need for every human being. And if we can't do it, we need to learn to do it. So we are going to be back with you tonight. And we would love it if you'd come join us. If you are coming, or even if you're not, you might want to go to our website, howwelove.com, and take the quiz. It will help you sort out which style you might be and then tonight we're going to talk a lot about well how do you grow out of these and then we're going to do a very concrete exercise um, that will take you through a conversation very structured exercise that you will do with your spouse and it will be probably or you can do it uh, uh, with yourself as well so if you're not married please come anyway Uh, but we're excited to take you through an experience that will probably be very new for you Yes, and we're not going to ask you to put your head on somebody's lap. No, not tonight. Sure you knew that, okay? <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's, this is 101 tonight. That's like 301 and 401, but that, so you don't have to do that tonight. I hope that somehow we touched you a little bit this morning with the fact that we all share something in common. You know, we're all broken, and we, we all need to grow, and we all need help in learning how to do that. 
And tonight we're going to be sharing the ways we grow out of this, and we'd love to have you join us tonight at 6 o'clock at family night. So I'd like to close in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Heavenly Father, you tell us to uh, love one another with all our heart, soul, and mind, just like we're supposed to love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, and yet it's really difficult at times, especially when we're stressed. Help us to be able to learn to be more like Christ uh, and do what he did, where he could describe his inner self, share it with safe people, and then ask them for support and proximity, and then be able to then bring all that for you, the Heavenly Father, as well. Father, I would just pray you'd give us healthier, stronger relationships with you and one another. And may this journey today and tonight help us all as we try to grow to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Neil? Thank you, guys. Can we thank Mylon and Kay one more time for being here with us? As they mentioned, they'll be back here tonight at 6 p.m. for another family night event. So if you'd like to come to that, feel free. We also have another one in October coming up. Um, you can go to horizoncc.com family and sign up for both of those. Um, and as you can see, they're just absolutely wonderful people. So if you'd like to say hi to them or maybe check out a book of theirs, they have a book table set up in the rear atrium. So feel free to check that out on your way out. That's it for us. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.